Hi, I'm Kay Crudson, and you're listening to Cradle the Podcast. In this podcast, we'll be hearing some incredibly brave stories as we explore different issues and topics surrounding baby loss. We'll hear from some healthcare professionals just what's being done to best support those that need it. From family and friends, how are they affected? And we'll hear from you, your story. Because together, you're not alone. We're probably going to cry, but I do hope there's going to be laughter. And more importantly, there will be support. This is Cradle the Podcast. Hello and welcome to Series 1, Episode 1 of Cradle the Podcast. What an absolute joy to have you along and what a momentous day. This podcast has been in the making for quite some time with so many stories that I want to share with you, so many people I want to talk to, and more importantly, just be with each other on what can feel at times like a roller coaster of emotion. So what better way to start this podcast, cradle the podcast, than with the founder of Cradle, Louise Zenyu, and she joins me now. Hi, Louise. Hi, Kay. Thank you so much for doing this. We have been talking about this for such a long time, and I can't believe actually we're actually doing this. So thank you for for hosting the podcast, and congratulations to you on on doing this, really. So thank you. No, thank you. Thank you for being here, but thank you for Cradle. Lou, for those that don't know Cradle, just tell us a little bit about what Cradle is and what it means to you. Okay. Cradle is, Cradle today is a, is a registered national charity working with lots of hospitals across the UK to make sure that the staff have got everything that they need to be able to provide the right care at the appropriate time to anyone affected by pregnancy loss or when a baby dies during pregnancy or anyone that's having actually a termination of pregnancy for, for any reason. So that's where we are today. In terms of why, um, I I think it was seven years ago now, um, was trying to get pregnant. I did get pregnant, but I didn't realise I was pregnant and I became quite unwell. And through a number of doctor's appointments and tests, found out that actually I was pregnant, but the pregnancy um, initially was thought to be a miscarriage. So I was told that we think it's a miscarriage. And then it was found to be something called a PUL which is, I now know, a pregnancy of unknown location, which as a diagnosis was really scary. And then it was found to be an ectopic pregnancy. So the pregnancy had actually um, found its way into and it got stuck in my left tube. So I had 14 days in and out of different you know, hospitals and, and departments, which then resulted in a really scary experience of being at home on my own, collapsed, I thought, I thought I was going to die, to be honest. It was really, really scary. Um, had to find my phone, call an ambulance. Four hours later, I was in theatre. And the next day I was discharged and told, you know, you need possibly IVF. So it's it's a whole thing. So that, that's just me in a really, really concise way of explaining my medical experience. Um, and that's the why, I suppose, really. That's a lot to go through. I mean, that's your timeline. Yeah seems like you've taken the emotion out of it and and I say that from being in your shoes at points um 
where the reality of it actually it's easier to just put that in a box and uh, and not really go into to do too much depth on mm. it uh, because it brings up too mm. much but Lou you just said you nearly died yeah I think I mean most of my week is now obviously spent training healthcare professionals and I said and actually do you know what okay fair play to it. I'm glad that you've said that because actually you are making me think in terms of sort of how I processed it and how I feel about it and you know there are there are key moments that really have stayed with me and I I really remember I remember being given the diagnosis of pregnancy of unknown location and being petrified that they said well you are pregnant but we don't know where the baby is and that that was really unsettling you know that was really unsettling for me I felt really uncomfortable with that um, because what's going through your mind like where is it but what was going through my mind is that if that's the diagnosis then I'm not having I'm not you know, I think I'm still pregnant. And I went into denial. I went into complete denial and shock and just wasn't ready to make any decisions. And I didn't. And that's possibly one of the reasons that I became so ill. And that's why we do a lot of training around communication in terms of how to deliver a diagnosis. But without going too much into sort of, you know, the, because I naturally fall into that in terms of trying to fix it and make things better for the people. What I remember about my experience in terms of I really go to sort of the, the depths of it is the rawness, the pain, the the feeling of feeling really a burden, an emotional burden on the people around me that loved me so much and gave me lots of support. For about four months, okay, I'd be driving the car and tears would just be falling out of my face and I wouldn't even realise I was crying. It was this, it was this, for me, so many people have different experiences, but for me, it was about losing the baby that I'd planned for, but it was actually how I'd lost the baby and sort of the experience around that, which was really scary and, you know, having an operation and, and all of these things really. But it was, it was, I think the thing is, is that for the first few months, you know, the first few weeks really there was, you know, people were talking about it and there was lots of support and, you know, life go, life does go on and people didn't talk about it as much. But for me, probably it was only about two months after it happened that actually I really started to process it and that's where the grief really hit and I was grieving for that baby and it was really really difficult um and then I just became massively obsessed with getting pregnant again if I'm completely honest and that you know that that in itself is, a, is another journey that's really really difficult and at what point during all that did you think I'm actually gonna focus on helping other people here where did cradle come into it that was a long time after you know so it was my daughter obviously I had my daughter and she was so post your daughter post my daughter okay. yeah so my daughter was a year old I'll tell you what happened I found out I was pregnant again obviously with Olympia I was pregnant with Olympia and then I got a phone call finally from you know the mental health services say we've got some counseling for you you've been on the on the waiting list for counseling which I think I assume that everyone naturally gets referred into. And I remember saying to them on the phone, oh, thanks so much. I, I don't need it. I'm pregnant again. I'm fine. And I remember actually, I, you know, I can see myself where I stood when I had that phone call and I really believe that I didn't need it. Uh, and I did need it. So, I, you know, said no to the counselling and then, you know, had the pregnancy, um, you know, to Columbia home and she got to a year old. And then it, it was... You know, when she, when she was about one, I just hadn't processed what had happened. And it was nothing to do with 
you know, her and the baby that I'd lost, it was really to do with how everything had happened and how scary it was and how out of control it was. And, you know, it was, it was, it was a real combination, but I think it was really the, the traumatic experience of how it had happened. And so look, luckily somebody that I knew was friends with a lady, a lady called Nadine Baines, who's got this amazing charity or charitable organization called Lighthouse Therapy Services, who provides specialist pregnancy loss counseling. <clears throat> Luckily for me, um, it, it, they're a Southport based um, organization. And they provided at the time free um, counseling retreats, two days, two day residential retreats for people that have been affected by what I've been affected by. And so I, I did that and I went on that retreat. So my daughter was a year old when I did that and I went there for the weekend. And it was just exactly what I needed. And actually, if I'd have had that a year before, I think I would have had a really different experience with the pregnancy and um, I would have healed a lot sooner. But it just gave me that space to actually just completely immerse myself in what had happened, you know, express my feelings and actually not put the burden on my friends and family again, which actually I need to stop saying that because I know that they would have wanted to have known that I was still feeling this way. But it's a really, really difficult and isolating thing, to be honest with you. Um so yeah, so, it is a word that though burden yeah. that quite a lot of people do say that they, you know, you do feel like a burden. It you know, and people, all right, you've lost a baby, and people said mm. didn't say it to me. This is what I thought they yeah. were saying to me. It's been four months now. Come on, you're gonna move yeah. on. Somebody actually did say to me what well, I was crying, and someone said to me, "Oh, not this again," and that was it. And it's at that point. It was that one line of somebody saying, oh, not this again, that that's what made me shut down and to not talk about it at all around anyone in my immediate friends or family as much as possible because that's where I felt like I can't talk about this. And that's why, you know, that's what Cradle's for. It's there to also help people to understand that haven't been through it, what an impact those words can can have and how they can help and also how they can hinder. Um, you know, we always... Well, I always remember the really the, the things that were really difficult to hear from people around me. They're the things that have really stuck. But there was a lot of kindness about the experience as well. Um, it's interesting, though, that there can be so there could be hundreds of hundreds of the right things, but it only takes one, yeah. and that is all you focus yeah, on. Definitely one bad, one negative, yeah. one at least one at least at least anything. Yeah. No, definitely. And it's not just the words; it's the it's the it's it's. Yeah. It's really difficult, isn't it? It's it's hard to explain. A week, you know, you and I could talk for a week and not even scratch the surface of what we've learned, what we've been through, what we've gathered from other people's stories, and you know, this this. I mean, Cradle as an organisation and what we're trying to do, we've not even started. That's the scary thing, and already we're doing so much. Um, but yeah, so so it was through. In terms of where Cradle came into this process, it was only after I went through the counselling retreat and healed myself. And then I wanted, actually, I wanted to give back to that organisation because obviously they'd, you know, funded this, this, um, counselling retreat for me. And I bumped into, um, Nadine in, um, a coffee shop about six months after the retreat. It was so nice to see her and I offered to volunteer, you know, so Kay, in so many of the ways that we have Cradle volunteers and Cradle ambassadors that come to us. I was an ambassador of, of another organization and I really wanted to give back. And my experience obviously is, um, you know, I work outside of cradle and business development and marketing and strategy. And I offered to, to work for this organization on a voluntary basis to really help them grow their organization. Um, and then 
in between I need to go back a little bit actually in between that offering to support them there was something that I noticed on the internet on Facebook and it was um I won't say which organization but let's just say there's a pathway at the moment um and they were looking for feedback on literature so they you know an organization had produced a set of literature that was going to be used you know in the NHS and for patients and clinicians and they were looking for feedback around is this the right communication you know what are your thoughts about it and I looked at I looked at the document around relating to to ectopic pregnancy and it just wasn't it what I didn't feel it was inclusive I, th- I felt it was in the wrong place and I just it's not like me to do this but I sent an email just to say you know I've noticed that you're looking for feedback I found this, this is my experience, this is what I think about your literature, this is how it would make me feel if I received that, I think it needs to be changed to this. And within about a week, I got an email back saying, thanks for your feedback, we agree we're making the changes. And it was in that moment, I realised, oh my God, you can make a change, it's really easy to influence and actually have a voice with something like this and and that was it that was just an isolated thing and I just parked it and nothing you know nothing was ever going to come of it it wasn't a thing it was just something that I'd done and then through the work with the other charity and meeting clinicians and hearing their challenges in terms of what they're struggling with in terms of resources funding time recruitment on the wards to be able to give the care that they want to give to patients I kind of just put the two and two together but at the same time I was still really struggling and if, I, if I'm honest with wanting to talk about my topic pregnancy but nobody I felt nobody wanted to listen because by this time it was 18 months on it was I'd had a daughter people expected me to be okay I didn't feel there was a license for me to talk about it if I'm completely honest with you so I never forget this night it was I think it was like October 2018 and I just I just had to find a way of expressing how I felt so I went onto Twitter and I set up an account it's still running now I still run this actually I don't know if you know but it's called um ectopic my and it i think i started this like um page called my ectopic pregnancy it's like a, a red yeah, banner yeah and it was a way that i could express how i was feeling but it was completely anonymous like i didn't want anyone to know it was me any of my friends and family because i don't know why i felt really uncomfortable i felt quite indulgent if i'm honest of it as in like people would think who the, you know who is this who is she to, to advise other people and to feel the need but I felt it but it was more for my healing so I set it up and a few weeks ago I went through the, the very first post and actually look at what I was doing and really early on I was I don't know why I was doing it I was signposting people because they couldn't find the support they needed and it was just something I did in passing it wasn't a big thing at all um and then but even there you, you I mean that's the thing isn't it once you've been through I, mean, I haven't, um, but once you've been through a certain type of baby loss, um, you already, knowledge is power, isn't yeah. it? And you can already help one person who is just going through that and has no idea, A, of what's to come, and B, who they can talk to and where they can go afterwards. Yeah. What really kills me is when, and twice... I, I've had two miscarriages yeah. and, and both times no one has sat me down in the hospital and said, expect this to happen mm. after your operation. Yeah. Expect this to happen 
and this and you're physically and emotionally mm. it's likely that these things are going to happen to you mm. and not that it's you'll have the operation you'll be fine you go home mm. which is what you're told and you're like wow do you know thank god i mean this is a total catch 22 i hate the fact that other people know but thank god they do yeah. because without that you are lost yeah. i completely agree i mean we've had there's so much that we're working on at the moment just just touching on what you've just said there has made me realize that so with ectopic with my journey of ectopic pregnancy i i had an injection called methotrexate which was meant to, you know it usually works it means that um the idea is, is that you have that and then you won't need surgery the side effects of methotrexate methotrexate is an, is an injection and you have it but nobody told me, or I have to I have to I have to add a disclaimer to this. I don't remember I don't remember being told that it can cause severe exhaustion and not to be alone at home on my own in case I ruptured, and that I could get skin sensitivity to natural sunlight that my face could burn. Now I've gone through my notes because I've got obviously you know I think you know I've got my nine 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 call from the paramedics that I use that in training. I've got all my uh, medical notes. I've got the whole thing. I've got everything, and I know that I've signed paper and documents where I've acknowledged these things, but I didn't read anything. Mm -hmm. I didn't read leaflets. And this is why we do what we do. You know, there are so, I mean, we are one of, at the moment, I think it's 98 baby loss charities, part of the Alliance. And there's charities every week that are starting, which is great. But we want to be something that is, it's leaflets are critical for information and we will always have leaflets. But everything that we do and what we want to do, it has to be tangible. You have to feel it. You have to be able to touch it in the hospital because people don't always read leaflets. And by just making sure that we provide these things that, as Vicky, obviously our, our comms managers work on at the moment, the little things campaign, we know it's the little things mm -hmm. that can make such a big difference. So going back to the methotrexate injection, we've obviously now prepared these packs, which is obviously the lip balm because people can, uh, people's lips might get burned from methotrexate. We've got a, a card in there to say, you know, methotrexate can cause severe exhaustion, you know, all the tips, all the things that you've just said that you wish you'd have known. That's what we want to do because we don't want anything to be more of a shock because you feel so out of control when it happens to you. That's the thing. And there's an opportunity to gain control in the care that you receive to an extent. So it's an interesting, yeah. Totally. yeah. No, I get why you've, why you've said that. And it's, yeah, I'm sorry that you didn't feel as, as prepared as well. As you needed to be, but I just I think it it and speaking personally, mm -hmm. it's the worst moment of your life, and you're not thinking clearly anyway. So of course someone's going to thrust you a form, and you sign mm -hmm. it because you're in a hospital yeah. and you trust that the doctor's going to do the right thing. And yes, I've agreed that I'll have the operation. I've not read page number three, four, and five because I can't see yeah. because all I can hear in my head is a loud animal scream and white noise and that's it and the world has stopped spinning and I don't know my ass from my elbow yeah. so yes I'm going to sign a form get it over and done with quicker and let me get out of here but for the love of God someone try and tell me what's going to happen afterwards yeah. because how the hell did I know I'd go home after an operation thinking it was all done and dusted but then still have contractions two days later yeah. that were horrific yeah like but people don't tell you these things yeah no i know 
and it's the physical that you can't you can't you know people around you can't see the physical we don't want to scare the people that are around as well so we don't necessarily no cool yeah. no, I mean you don't and no one wants to talk about blood and mm. pain and what's going to happen um but those things you I mean you feel and then never mind what's going on in the head like and that's the thing that's been so incredible about cradle is the the offering in some places where we do have yeah. funding to offer that support for women that need yeah. it because like you found out you know 12 18 months later when you'd had your baby you still needed help and support yeah. you needed that counseling in order to to carry on yeah. grief is not something that just starts and stops like no. immediately is it i think it's always there and you grow you know i've grown around my grief and you know i do think about that baby and i think the way that i feel about things now is very different to when i was going through it at the time but there are moments where I, if i'm completely honest for me it was the how it happened that was completely traumatic and scary and I don't know if I'll ever really I've dealt with it and you know it doesn't affect any of my day-to-day now you know you know at all but it's it's kind of there in the background but I use that now but has it changed you I'm I'm a completely different person the day you know the day that I found out that I was pregnant and that it wasn't going to be okay I was a completely different person and I've never been the same since and I never will be and I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that because that was I feel that that's for me my path and what I don't know. I don't believe that these things happen for a reason. I don't say that because I don't believe that. But I, I accept what's happened to me and I, I've just sort of grown with it and moved with it and, you know, try and take the good out of all the bad because it's really important. You know, I remember when when we had, when I started with the my um, ectopic pregnancy Twitter page, I started doing some work as a volunteer locally with the hospital in terms of working with the bereavement focus group. So looking at the pathways of care you know, using my feedback as a patient in terms of how to influence services. And I really enjoyed that. It was like a one hour a month. And then from that, I met with the gynecology, uh, so matron of gynecology, uh, matron of gynecology, um, Wendy. And we just sat down in the canteen at the hospital one day and had a chat. And I said, you know, I'd really like to do something for the ward, for the staff to say thank you. That was more than cake and, you know, coffees and that kind of thing. So I said that I wanted to donate 10 bags of toiletries to the ward that I was on for other women that had their topic pregnancy that were admitted unexpectedly like me. So they've got everything that they need. And it's actually to give it to the staff so the staff can give it to the patients. It's, it's actually giving the staff extra resources that obviously that they haven't got. Some some staff are really limited with what they have on a ward because of funding. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, Wendy agreed, said, yeah, that's fine. You can do that. And I remember that evening putting, I think it was a Sunday morning, actually, I put something on Instagram just to say, I'm looking for donations of, you know, 10 shampoos, 10 conditioners, you know, everything that we put into our bags. And it was literally, okay, within 20 minutes, it was 18 women who contacted me that had all had ectopic pregnancies to say, this has happened to me. You know, I'd like to send you toiletries for your project. Now, they were all over the country and I was in Ormsgate. And if I'm honest, it was at that moment, I realized that I I could see Cradle. I could see it. I could see it. I didn't Mm -hmm. anticipate how big it was going to be, but I could see that there was a project that was bags 
in hospitals with lots of women that would join and each of us would work together for as long as we wanted to just doing this it was never meant to be anything in terms of any hierarchy or, or anything like that so we haven't got hierarchy but there is to an extent obviously with the work we do the charity commission has to be um so we started doing this and then you know i remember about two weeks later i set up the first whatsapp group with all of these women in and the I remember setting up the group, doing the introductions, and I and I pressed. I had this message already prepared, and I put it into the group, and I pressed send, and then I stepped back, and I didn't look at my phone for an hour. I remember getting in the car. I went to Tesco, and am I allowed to say Tesco? I went to Tesco. We've got lots of corporate partners. Thank you to all of them. Um, went, <laughs> went, and then you know did what I needed to do because I wasn't quite ready to look at what because I didn't know if maybe anyone was even going to talk on there. Got, it's like when you online date, if you online date and you send a message and then you yeah. just throw your phone, I can't look at it. Hey, that's, I cannot look. that's a whole other podcast, which <laughs> I'm not doing this week. Um, <laughs> but it was message after message after message after message after message. It was just, you know, all of these really brave people sharing their story, being there for each other. And actually, so this is probably now two years after my experience of, preg- of ectopic pregnancy in those moments. So we're going back to like 2017. 20, I think this is, Five 20, years ago. This is probably 2018. Right. I would say. I mean, then yeah. like just seeing all that, you must have just thought, hang on a minute. Do you know, it was more than just me thinking. Yeah, I didn't feel alone. Do you know what I didn't? I just, all of a sudden I just thought, oh my God, I've got someone I can talk to that's like, you know, I've, I've got somebody that I can say, because, you know, I I knew that we were doing this tonight and I have been thinking a little bit like, oh, do I say, you know, but the reality is, is that I had, I had my daughter and even after I had her, I still really struggled with other people's pregnancy announcements. Like, I don't know what, it just, it just, it, it doesn't now, which is really interesting at all now, but definitely up until last year, it literally hit, it was like a physical thing, like in the stomach. That would just affect me. And the reason, for, and this is, let's talk about trauma here. So, when I'd just gone through the ectopic pregnancy, somebody that was really close to me um, had just found out they were pregnant. Everyone apparently knew about it and I didn't, which I understand. I get it. Look, I get it. <laughs> I understand why. Um, yeah. But, but still. But still. But they decided to come to our home to break the news to us before we were serving breakfast to them. You know, this is like three months after my topic pregnancy. And, you know, I was like, okay, you know, and, and from their point of view, they wanted to tell me face to face. This is very much about what they thought was the right thing to do. And I get that. There's no there's no golden rule book. I get it. I get it. But actually what that did is it completely traumatized me emotionally. And, you know, you know, your home after pregnancy becomes your safe space. It's the place that you close the door on. You can say what the hell you want. Nobody has to see mm-hmm. you. You know, I spent a lot of time on my own, to be honest with you. So my ex-husband was um, at work a lot, which, you know, and I just didn't, I, I had to take about five weeks off work in the end. Um, and that safe space was just completely destroyed, completely destroyed. And that feeling of being told that, I mean, they stayed for breakfast, you know, they stayed for the hash browns and eggs as well. So <laughs> I'm sad. You must make a good brekkie, though. I mean, yeah, I do, to be honest with you. But, you know, I remember sitting there and, eating and just thinking I just need these people to and, and I, I love those pe- I loved those people so much as well that was a really, really difficult thing 
And I was so, I was, you know, genuinely happy for them. I wouldn't want anyone to not be able to have, you know, their babies that they want to have. Um, but that, you know, that, that, that caused a real disconnect in that friendship, if I'm completely honest. And, you know, even though I got pregnant, you know, three months after, it was never really the same, if I'm completely honest. And, and I think that being told that in that moment, it has such a physical impact. It's like a memory, you know, like memory frame mattresses. It's like, it was like a memory, yeah. that, but it kept coming up. So every time somebody would tell me I'm pregnant, it would send me back to the, the physical feeling that I had moment. in the flat. Yeah. And it's taken a long time for that to go. And obviously, you know, obviously you've had, you know, you've had your baby and, you know, my sister's had a baby and, you know, these are all really positive experiences and I don't get that feeling anymore, but for quite a while, I did. And I just know that everyone, you know, there are other people out there that have really experienced that. And it's just to say that that is completely normal. And I still got that feeling even after I'd had a baby. It's, it's really complex. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the things that we'd say are just, I, I'd unfollow people. Yeah. I simply couldn't see people with a bump anymore. Yeah. And it, you are. Yes, of course you're happy for them. But let me tell you that what's going through my mind as you're telling me is why not me? Yeah. And it's it's not meant to it's not meant to be like that. Yeah. And I don't mean to be so green with jealousy and I really hoped I'd not come across that yeah. way. But why yeah. me? And you know And that's normal. So it normal. is really normal. And the way that we say about I mean, you asked me before if you know if it changed me. It so when I first got pregnant, I was like, ah, you know, I'm going to get pregnant, I'm going to have a baby and then I'm going to have another one and I'm going to have, an, you know, and and it was never a question. Mm. And then after that happened, after the topic pregnancy happens, how I look at pregnancy now, if I'm completely honest, is that, you know, if people say to me, I'm having a baby, in my mind, and I would never say this to other people saying it out loud now, so everyone's going to know what, what my opinion is. You're not having, you know, I still think you're not having a baby, you're pregnant. Currently, today, you are pregnant. That, that's yeah. unfortunately, and I don't want to feel like that, but that's exactly where I am. Um, so how was your pregnancy then with Olympia? I didn't think I was bringing. I didn't think I was bringing her home. Up until being in labour and theatre with her, I didn't. I didn't think I was bringing her home alive. And that is, you know, that's that's the reality of the situation. It was such a shock that actually it went to as much of a plan as it could. Um, and then I just, you know, for the first few months of her life, couldn't believe I had her. Uh, and maybe, and the thing is, case I'll never know what it's like to have a normal pregnancy and actually just have a have a pregnancy, have a baby. Yeah. And maybe all mums look at their babies and go, "Oh, I can't believe I've got this amazing baby." Maybe that's the same for everyone. But you know, I did. Even tonight, you know, she's six, put it to bed. I, I still look at her, and I think I can't, sometimes I do think I can't believe you are here based on what has happened before mm. and being told that. You know, my other tube was damaged, that I'd need IVF. And to be honest, I then experienced secondary infertility. So we tried to get pregnant for another 13 months, could not get pregnant. And it never happened. And obviously then, you know, we, 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 we divorced now. So um, I'm obviously, I've got, you know, I've got one child. And, but, you know, secondary infertility, then it's, then your mind goes to places like, I just want to be pregnant. You know, I just want to be pregnant even if I end up losing the baby, I just want to get on that road yeah. to try and, cause, because then I then had a lot of hope. I don't know. Do you know what? It, it's a whole thing and everyone's experiences are completely different and nothing's the same. And if anyone ever thinks that this doesn't make sense, it makes sense. 
<laughs> Does that make sense? Oh my god, it totally makes the sense. Stuff that doesn't make sense makes the most sense. It's and, and the secondary facility. Yeah. I mean, we only let me think now. It's about six six months, yeah. but which is not a long time. But me and Jim are the most fertile together people yeah. that there's ever been. Um, <laughs> so with the baby. I mean, with all our babies, it was quick. With a star who um, we lost our third baby, yeah. um, without going into too much detail, we um, we did things on the Friday night. And um, I said to him on the Saturday morning, I'm pregnant. And he was like, oh, shut up. And I'm telling you now because my C-section scar is throbbing yeah. and it hasn't hurt since about six seven weeks after I had Ava um and I was pregnant so then to when we lost her to then um, I didn't lose her I can't stand it when I say that she didn't go anywhere I didn't lose her when she died she died died and it then took six months and it was six of the longest Mm. months of my life of every day thinking about it every waking minute and if one more person said to me why don't you just stop thinking about it oh yeah, yeah. nice one tell you what i'll just turn it off shall i no i can't it's all consuming day in day out and it's a very hard mm. headspace to get out of mm. and i went on to to have another baby but i've met so many women who haven't yeah. and to get yourself out of that place it's hard. In, infertility. I mean, to not be able to, you know, after having had the 13 months of not being able to get pregnant again, and I got pregnant very quickly with Olympia. Um, and I just don't understand why it happened so quickly with O, and then it just didn't happen at all. But then I believe it's the universe. And it was, it, for me, that wasn't meant to be. And I'm, I'm okay. I'm completely okay with that now because it's, it's. I would have loved another baby, but it's yeah, it's it's a whole it's a whole thing, isn't it? It's really really difficult. But your life now has, um, you know, there's lots of different things to your life. Yeah. But your your big, you cut you in half, and it says cradle. You are yellow, um, and the help and support that you've given. And when I say you, I know you're thinking it's not just me, yeah, it's everyone. But yeah. what you created has enabled so many people to be supported when they've needed it or even when they've thought they've not needed it, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Who knew that just a, a lip balm could could trigger so much? Um, but it does. Yeah. And that, I mean, that is incredible. I've learned a lot. So I... When when we put the Instagram post on those 18 women contacted us and we had that WhatsApp group, we all had ectopic pregnancy. But then there was one, this is, this. do you know what? It wasn't me that started Cradle. It was another lady. And she's not with us now. She's a volunteer that sort of floated in now a little bit. But I, I feel like I need to contact her tomorrow just to say, I don't know how much you, you realise how much you've influenced in terms of who we are and what we do. But she contacted me and said, I've not had an ectopic pregnancy. I had a miscarriage, but I love what you're doing. I really want to get involved. 
And I was like, okay, that's fine. So she was in the WhatsApp group and she was the one lady out of a huge amount of us that Rob's talking about this at my, because the, the project wasn't even called Crave. It was called My Atopic Pregnancy for ages. Um, mm. It was always going to be, you know, the comfort bags were going to be a different color. That it was, it, it was My Atopic Pregnancy. And then just by that lady being in the, in the WhatsApp group, I, she never said anything to make me feel that she felt isolated because we'd all had different types of losses. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe she just felt she really fitted in because it was early loss and, you know, we, we were all supporting each other. But I just had this niggle that I just didn't want for a split second for her to feel any different or that, or that she didn't belong. It's belonging. So I decided, oh God, I decided that there was going to be two projects one was called my topic one was called cradle and if you look on facebook probably right at the early photos we had two sets of graphics and there was going to be two sets of bags two projects two sets oh, of ambassadors like the thought of it now just like is horrendous um and then and then i and i think i'd already come up with the name cradle for something else actually a long time ago to be honest with you but I, it was just a name that i had for something else that i never intended really using and I remembered it and I brought it back. And then by that time, obviously the reason that we are, you know, we look how we look and the branding and everything, we're very, very fortunate that we were um, we were helped by an agency in Manchester called Havas who created the Cradle brand and helped us hugely. Um, and it's, you know, we worked with the NHS on the branding and it was really well received. And, you know, we believe it looks like it's always been there really. Um, and so I stopped using the mitotic pregnancy project and we just fell under cradle because then it would include anyone any loss any journey mode of pregnancy um and that's that's still evolving now and initially we were an early pregnancy loss charity and because we've got so much support from our volunteers and our corporate partners we're actually now able to provide comfort bags to anyone in the hospital for any loss any gestation including stillbirth um, and actually, you know, we are launching, we're just working with press, uh, Royal Press and Hospital at the moment on our pregnancy choices um, service because we work with so many gynecology teams. And from day one, Kay, they've been asking us, this is incredible support for pregnancy loss. What are you doing for people that have had a termination of pregnancy? Now, when I'm talking about termination of pregnancy, I'm not talking about termination for medical reasons. I understand that termination for medical reasons, compassionate induction is very much classed to many people as a pregnancy loss. And that's that's really where we keep that type of loss. I'm talking about the women who are pregnant. It's unplanned. They've been maybe a victim of domestic abuse. Um, they've changed their mind for whatever reason. Um, they became pregnant by accident. Um, you know, and, I, and I, I am very honest about it. And I think it is important to talk about it, that I had a termination when I was 21. And it was the loneliest experience that I've ever been through because I didn't tell anyone. So for us working with Royal Preston on the Pregnancy Choices Service, we're ensuring that cradle support resources, you know, the counselling, the comfort bags are available to anybody who feels that they need support. Because what we've also learned through talking to people, I mean, we've got 1,700 people in our support group at the moment who a lot of them have accessed our comfort bags. I think at the last count, K. Hey, Eight and a half thousand comfort bags have gone into fifty hospitals. So from that, people people contact us. So people contact you all the time, me, don't you know? It's it, it, the volunteers. Um, but we just know that any. So for example, for my termination, I was twenty. The, the experience was horrendous. I wasn't prepared, like you said. I didn't know what was going to happen to me. And I had surgery. 
But even though I made that decision and that was absolutely the right decision for me, I was with the wrong partner. I was young, I was at university. But it was the it was the hardest thing I've ever done. And I really grieved that baby. And actually, do you know, if I'm honest, I consider myself to be bereaved in relation to that pregnancy. However, absolutely. yeah, I really would really do. And But what's interesting about the ectopic pregnancy is that it took me a long time to even put the, the pieces together that that was a baby, I was meant to be its mum, I've got the right to be, to feel like I'm grieving because the care was so quick. It was pre-hospital care through the ambulance there, but it was all around saving my life and getting me into theatre and stop me dying. And I think with that, I didn't have a booking in an appointment. I didn't see a midwife. I wasn't on a maternity ward. I was on a gynecology ward. There was no, there was nothing around me that even suggested that I should feel a certain way and that this was meant to be a baby. It felt, and I just want to say as well, the care I received was exceptional. I had exceptional care from Ormsby at hospital. Can't fault it. Um, but it was about probably, it just didn't sink in. It just didn't sink in. And I think also because it wasn't, clusters of miscarriage and I feel you know how strongly I feel about this you know this is a massive bugbear to me you know I do not appreciate it when my experience is clusters of miscarriage because it's a completely different experience I cannot imagine what you went through Kay I, I was there with you in terms of obviously you know when we were going through you know emotional support and obviously trying to be there but I don't know what mm-hmm. you went through because I've not had that experience in the same way that I don't expect other people to understand what I've been through if they've not been through an ectopic pregnancy. Um, but they're really different. And that's why we've got so many different pathways where we really look at each different type of pregnancy loss, the experience, the wards they go on to, the leaflets they're given, um, the medication they have, how many sets of bloods that they have. You know, it's it's really individual. Um, and what we do is we tailor everything that we possibly can to that one person, to their couple, you know, to their partner. To, if it's a surrogate pregnancy, we work with obviously surrogates and in terms of parents and grandparents. You know, we... It, it, and ultimately, we need to make sure that the NHS staff have got the confidence in, in, make, in caring for these people as well and having mm-hmm. and uh, educating. And if they feel unsure about how to talk about it, that's what we're there for. We do lots of training with the staff and the students as well. I think that's the at the heart. You know, there's so many variations, there's so many different experiences, mm-hmm. but always the common denominator is the hospital yeah the staff and the care and and it's hugely important the work that cradle do because if one i know if if by sharing my story and by explaining how in that moment when i was told there was no heartbeat that i felt like just another person on a treadmill of being told lights on no heartbeat, off you go upstairs, mm. walk through there where there are lots of women who are quite heavily pregnant, some of them all waiting to come in for their scans. Yeah. And obviously in my head I'm thinking, and they're all fine. Mm. Then to me, I'm the only person in the world that's ever going to have felt how I'm feeling, how I mm. felt. And to the woman, to the sonographer, I get it. You've seen 20 people today. Mm. I'm just, but I'm not just another person. This is the my first baby that I had and has now died. Yeah. And there was, you know, there's n- in that moment, you either need the right words or you need nothing. Yeah. 
And and that, if cradle, you know, that is an aim to help educate, help change language, help just try and get people to understand. Yeah. Yeah, and have that confidence to be able to, to either say nothing, to either say the right thing, or to say nothing yeah. and and hand a cradle tissue pack yeah. over. In terms of, we've just done some training, so I've obviously looked at my experience, and you know, this is why we just launched Cradle and the ambulance service and the in the ambulance trust because you know it's really important that they've got the confidence, knowledge, and that they're included in the pathway that we provide. And a lot of the feedback that we get from paramedics is that sometimes they just don't know what to say, and they're so focused, obviously, on clinical care because especially if it's a life saving situation. Um, mm. but we you know we teach the paramedics in terms of we've just done a piece of work actually which is where we've asked for feedback um where people that have had ham- ambulance care to write a sentence you know finish the se- finish the sentence which is you know dear paramedic we wanted i wanted you to know and we feed all this back into the paramedics and they really they embrace it they take the feedback they take the words and they use that in their own training as well you know but sometimes it's just literally we say to the paramedics you know just you know eye contact is key and reassure that yeah. person you're safe because that's what somebody said to me you're safe now you're safe now and actually I didn't need yeah. anyone to say to me in those moments I'm so sorry that your baby's died or you know it was I just needed them to be there for me in that moment and they were and that's something that's really really simple um I mean I have to say if it if it wasn't for the NHS Cradle wouldn't be here because it's a huge responsibility and a, and a huge risk they took on us actually in terms of actually allowing us into their wards into the hospitals oh, yeah. and yeah. we launched actually at the Liverpool Women's Hospital at the Baby Loss Conference and I remember turning up there with my brother I don't know if you've met my brother yet Adam um, and we were thrown into this room full of all of these fantastic charities I remember that Miscarriage Association were there presenting on the day Aiken Arms were there um, and we literally just got our leaflets back from the printer the night before I think I'd had two hours sleep um we were there we didn't have a bank account i didn't even know what we were we were just there with these really amazing looking <laughs> leaflets from Havas. <laughs> we looked a lot more established than we were um but probably the strength of that is probably what gave the nhs the confidence in terms of actually to to listen to us and then what's happened now is that we've gone from having as you know the volunteer model where we've had cradle ambassadors that were going to set up the project the nhs started knocking on our door saying we really want a cradle service for example guys in st thomas's and lewisham we had a couple of people down there, but it was—it's a huge—it's a huge thing to ask people to do. I was not ready to go into London, but guys in St Thomas's, so Liana, who's now a trustee of ours, Liana Brace, um, Belinda Champion, who's an advanced clinical practitioner, they both put their hands up and said, "We'll start Cradle in our hospitals. Let us do it." So, yeah, I, it's amazing. So I said no. <laughs> I said no. Again. Um. I was like, "This is just," too, and they were like, "No, we will do it." So we said okay great so we've supported them but you know they run their own cradle services they've got them right throughout departments um you know lucinda's got um sorry belinda's got two epaus across two sites i don't know how she does it but this is the model now so the nhs are really setting up cradle and taking it in and then the reality is but what what an amazing thing that is though like just stop and think about that from you wanting to give 10 bags i know to just help staff provide a little bit of care to 10 people you've now got staff providing that care through your through cradle i mean it's it's thank god thank thank god thank god because i wouldn't be able to i I, it got to a point where i mean i'm at the moment i'm an ambassador for southport and ormskirk i took preston on i had a meeting with the matron of guyany at preston david styles 
how is he the only man that I've ever met that works in that role at 50 hospitals? One male matron. He's incredible. He's so passionate as well. He works for um, Royal Preston and he also he's involved with St. John Ambulance. He did a presentation to St. John Ambulance. And we just talked for about an hour on Teams. And I, I did the thing where I overcommitted again. Uh, but I had to work with him. <laughs> so really what, what I probably should have done initially at that time was just sent leaflets in, got a volunteer and set it up. But I, I couldn't do that. So I, I set a date and, you know, I got together an extra 30 comfort bags and, you know, got in the car, went there for day. And I'm so glad I did because I've learned so much from him, his service. And actually, you know, all of our banners now are actually being reprinted at the moment to say pregnancy choices because that's the term that they say. I struggled for a long time to know how we need to talk about the pregnancy choices service, about termination, about abortion. I am hugely aware that this is a really, really sensitive subject to somebody who has wanted to get pregnant, has, has their baby has died, and that they may not be able to accept that somebody has decided to have an abortion. I accept and I understand people have got different opinions. However, as a charity, we are committed to supporting anybody for any reason and for it to be inclusive including the way that we apply for our funding we apply equally now for funding for both both services but it was from mm-hmm. Preston it was from David that we got that pregnancy choices and we've learned from that and we we always learn from the NHS the bags what goes in the bags we learn from the NHS we know not to put lavender in I mean I'm not I'm not saying this this is what I've been told that there has been medical evidence that lavender can possibly induce miscarriage or early pregnancy loss that's why we don't have it in our bags we've been given that information by the nhs i'm sure somebody's going to contact us to say where's this information from but mm. get in touch if you want to know it but that that was enough for me to know that we don't put that in there you know another charity there's other charities that gave us advice in terms of what they think we should put in the bag so it's a real collaboration in terms of sort of um based on what we think people need you know i remember dawn she really wanted a bubble i think it was dawn that really wanted a bubble so the bubbles are in there um, I really wanted a hairbrush. You know, it's all these things that just allow people to get back a little bit of control in their life. But for me, the key thing in that bag and all, you know, a hand cream, oh, yeah. lip balm, hair bubble, the ability to brush your teeth. Yeah. But the main thing is, is, the, dear, is the letter. It's the dear friend letter, which I wrote to myself. Yeah. And, and it is the most important thing. A dear friend letter is dear friend. We are here. You're not alone. We understand, you know, this is how you can get in touch with us when or if you are ready, you know, and it literally signposts. And there is every week, every week I'm sent a picture through social media and it's this iconic picture now, Kay. And this is actually, God, I feel a bit emotional saying this. This is what sends me back because it's Mm. a picture. It's always the same picture. It's a lady's obviously got a cradle bag. She's in hospital. She's in the bed. You can see there's either lilac or green, you know, that really thin blanket that does yeah. nothing that you're freezing in. Oh, yeah. Um, and you can see the, you know, it's over the legs. You can see the two legs. And then in the middle is just the comfort bag and the bits are out. And, you know, and it's just, thank you so much. I, you, you know, you've got no idea how much I needed this. And that I must have, I mean, I don't collect them. My phone's full of photos, but th- there's at least 20 to 30 where I've got those pictures where I and then the, what happens is that sends me right back to that moment where I remember I was admitted to the gynae ward at 11 o'clock at night with nothing my ex you know ex husband had to go home my phone was dying I had no phone charge I had nothing with me 
And I went to bed, I went to sleep just like shocks, just found out I was pregnant, was told it's probably a miscarriage. And it was just the loneliest place. Mm. I felt completely disconnected from anyone and I couldn't make sense of anything at all. And that's what we hope to do. We try to help, we help people to try to find other people they can talk to. So that's through our support, our support group on Facebook. It's through Cradle Community, which is our online forum. So people that don't, that are not on social media, because I went off social media for a long time because of it. I didn't want to see pregnancy announcements. Yeah. I didn't want to see scam pictures. I didn't want to see anyone happy. I couldn't deal with it. And I'm quite happy to say that now. That's, that's my honest, that's my truth. I felt like that for quite a long time. So that's why. So many do. Yeah. I, mean, I did. We all did. Didn't we? Yeah. And notifications and stuff. You, ha- you have to do what's right for you. I feel like I'm just reciting all of our literature and all of our. <laughs> I can't help it. Well, the key thing is in that moment, you know, reading that letter that I think I'm, it's fair to say you wished you'd had some form of that with you at that moment and you didn't yeah. and you've been able to to give that yeah. back to so many people yeah. with the help of so, so many, many people. people as well. Do you know what we did this week? Just a, I mean, we've been talking for ages and we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up a bit, but... Um, we obviously work with the NHS and we're now grateful. We're actually funded by, you know, integrated care boards. We've just received £20,000 worth of funding for the cradle services in, in Newcastle for counselling. And, you know, this is, this is what we're doing now. We're, we've got a fantastic team. We've got a, a paid team. We've got an operations director. We've got a comms manager. Um, we've got a bid manager. We've got nine counsellors that provide our services and, you know, our job now is to make sure. Just saying all that is amazing. Like... You know what? We we are an employer. The thing is now we've moved from yeah. being a project to a charity to we are now an employer. We're a flexible employer. And the people that we employ, we allow them to work weekends, evenings, more, you know, whatever works for them. Because the, the NHS is 24-7 as well. So for me, I do training sessions at 10 o'clock at night. I don't know if you know this, but I'll do training sessions with night, night shift staff, at like between 10 and 11, because that's when they're there. And in my situation, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, the Olympia, I can do that. And it just means that we can be sort of a lot more around the clock. Um, but it did get to a point with, because obviously I'm ambassador for Ornsvik. I've got Preston. I've got the Liverpool Women's. I've got Leighton. I've got about five sites that I supply comfort bags to. And I needed and help. Only one of you. Yeah, it got too much. I've reached out to a number of corporate partners in construction. Obviously, if you know that I work for an architect. Um, and I've got a massive passion for construction. So we are now working with the construction companies that are working on site in the cradle services and um, working with a company called Robertson Construction um, but also like Robertson Group, also Tilbury Douglas. So we did an event at the Liverpool Women's this week with Tilbury Douglas Construction. And I was in a porter cabin with about 15 men who all work in construction, muddy boots, high those jackets on some of them had suits on the directors were there as well um and me and emma um millward who's their marketing manager um they had reached out to their supply chain and they had collected more than 800 toiletries wow honestly it was really emotional being in that room to be honest with you as did through lunch it's great they packed um they packed 64 comfort bags but then I, I need, I, I, they were doing that and they understood why they were doing that, but I really wanted them to, to feel it as well and see it. So we went up to the ward. Obviously, cause I work really close to the Liverpool so they used to be there and we go up and we've got our own storage room there and the bags go in there and it's fantastic. So went upstairs and obviously, you know, introduced 
you know, a couple of the construction directors, you know, and there was about, I think it was about a couple of guys, me and Emma. And because there weren't that many patients on there, it was quite a private area. We actually went onto the ward. So not only did, you know, our corporate partner donate the bags, I then asked the the matron and the nurse, Natalie, to get out um, some of the, you know, the I don't know if you've seen them, the forever beds, the really small beds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The sort of gestational loss of um you know sort of 12 to sort of 16 weeks and and Natalie got them out and actually hand, you know handed them and showed the and you could see the look on these men's faces these are you know, these are these are you know they're not used to seeing this this is my world I see this every day they are not used to that and then but it almost becomes a little bit like mm we get it yeah. we see it day in day out it is just a given but to someone that's not from that yeah. environment that's not had any any reason to be in the baby loss yeah. world that's huge and plus my sector so I work for an architect and you know it's a really male dominated industry it's how it's leveling out don't get me wrong you know there's a lot more um inclusion and obviously equality as well but traditionally it's been very sort of male focused um and I was I went to a health, I went to the new hospitals program event in Manchester last night, which is really interesting. And they were there, and I was talking to one of the men, one of the directors that had been to the Liverpool Women's with me, and he told me last night that it had such a huge impact on him personally seeing that feather bed. He said that he was really shocked to see it, and because he saw that, he basically said he went back and spoke to all the site team because we're doing this event again with Stepping Hill with you next week. Um, mm-hmm. And he's basically said to people, you really have to get involved with this. This is what I've seen on the board. This is why they're, this is why Crane are doing what they're doing. This is the impact they have. And just by showing people and sort of having, you know, that, that message has been shared in so many different ways. Cause we, there's only one of me, I can't do it on my own. So we've got, we've got so much support and obviously our Cradle ambassadors are incredible. We've got, I think 47 women who sadly have all, the babies have all died and they've taken Cradle into the hospitals that have meaning to them or, you know, that where they want to support. And a lot of this is down to them as well. So it's, it's, a, it's a massive combined effort, everything that you do and everything that sort of the people that run Cradle do. And it's, I don't know, it's just a whole thing, isn't it? And it's, I don't think it's ever going to start. Well, I for one am very grateful to everyone that's involved, to you for having one of the worst experiences of your life and turning it into a positive for so many other people. And I think um, that would be echoed by many. And I know you hate it when people say thank you to you, but thank you because you may, you know, you do do what you do. You do work crazy hours. You have got a massive team and loads of people that support you and do all this amazing stuff and, and so many backers and so many people in your corner, but you know, it, is down to you for starting off in the first place. So take that if you can. Anyway, but, no, I, I believe I me. I, get it. I, I appreciate you saying that. And at the same time, I will say that doing what I do, it it is an emotion. It, it's not an emotional job. It. I'm fortunate that between ourselves, that we all make sure that all of our team have the emotional support they need, and. There have been so many times when I've gone to you and Dawn and said, I'm really struggling with this. I need you to take this off me at the moment. And you have. And the same, obviously, with Dawn and, and, and you as well. And, you know, this is why it works so well. There's a huge amount of trust and we're all yeah. completely there for each other. So I'm, I've never felt on my own. And 
And I, I said to Dawn a while ago, if you know, if she ever left, or if you ever left, okay, I would. I, I don't want to do this on my own because I can't. That's the thing. And you are the backbone to it as well. But I thank you what you say, and I do get it. But and I think you can listen to your own words when I say, and you say to so many others. You're not alone. Yeah, you're not alone. I mean, that is it, isn't yeah. it? That is cradle yeah. to a T. I mean, if anyone is listening to this, just to say as well, we've got a weekly support group. So if anyone does need support, head over to the website and you can book on a connected session, which is a weekly support session, which is run by our facilitators. So reach out if you need anything. And we'll put the website link in the show notes um, and you can find out all the ways in which you can get involved in Cradle, support Cradle, or be supported through Cradle, Um, you're not alone. And that is the key message um, for everyone that is affected by baby loss, directly or indirectly. Lou, what a pleasure it has had, uh, I've had having you on. Thank you for doing this. I really, really, we all really appreciate this. And to all the guests that you're interviewing, I can't wait to listen to the rest of the the podcast for the next couple of weeks. And long may it continue. Here's to Cradle the Podcast. Lou, thank you so much. Thank you. Take care, love. Thanks, Paul. that was lovely lovely Lou and I'm so pleased that you've been able to spend a little bit of time with her she's a busy lady but what a joy to have her on this podcast tonight Cradle is a family a huge family and in that family there are some incredibly fabulous volunteers who who spend their time trying to make a change trying to support people that need it at a time when actually they're going through their own baby loss journey So it's a huge thanks to them. But at the heart of the family is Lou. So thank you for everything you do and for joining us on this episode of Cradle the Podcast. Now, can I ask you a favour? If you've got a spare minute, please can you rate us and review us and share the podcast with as many people as you can. Because the more people that listen, the better chance we've got at breaking the taboo. That it's okay to talk. And remember, you're not alone. This is Cradle the Podcast.